0: To rumor requirements, uh, episode twelve.
1: I am your host, or one of your hosts, Kamala Chau,
0: and I'm Miracle Jones.
1: Uh, just to remind everyone, this is a podcast dedicated to soul care and resistance in the time of Trump. Yeah,
0: uh, and here we are, uh, another eventful week. But but how are you doing? How are you doing?
1: Yeah, we always like to start our podcast checking in with each other, making sure that we are remaining relatively sane. <laughs> So I am doing all right. Uh, I uh, recently healthy, uh, uh, eating recently well. Uh, my wife is away actually this weekend, so uh, which where'd, where'd she go? She went to San Francisco. San Francisco. So she's away. She's uh, she's uh, taking part in a bachelorette party for one of her friends. So um, I had nothing but time on my hands. <laughs> Your okay.
0: wife worries about you when she goes away. <laughs> she does. She's
1: like, what's he gonna do with this time? I don't know. I'll figure it out.
0: How long has she gone for?
1: Uh, she's back on Monday.
0: Okay, that's not yeah, too bad. Yeah, yeah. Just two days. You already look like a wreck. <laughs> Your hair's all messed up.
1: <laughs> it's true, it's true. I'm already... Yeah, exactly. I'm not able to hold it together. She's only been gone for six hours. <laughs> so we'll... um, You'll just have to check in on her. Yeah, every day. No, I didn't know. Um, so on the upside, you can probably see some more movies. So that'll, yeah, right. that'll boost. That'll boost the... Uh, the emotional happiness quotient. Um, how are you, man? You had a, you had an interesting week.
0: Yeah, I had a bit of a dumb health scare. Just said I feel I, like
1: this is the year of our self-inflicted wounds. Yeah,
0: sure. You, but uh, yeah, just like didn't chew some food well enough <laughs> and scratched up
1: my esophagus. Uh, tell our listeners what food that was. I was tortilla chip. You know,
0: but like, here's the thing. Like, you hear that and you're like well that's ridiculous but like it
1: is ridiculous alright it is
0: ridiculous but like in Texas right like tortilla chips are really like thin and and, like crispy and you know I think that's pretty common elsewhere But, like, here in New York, they've got these, like, tortilla chips that are, like, actual just tortilla shells. Yeah, I mean, they should come,
1: yeah I mean, they should come with warning <laughs> for anyone who takes <laughs> 10 years to figure out how
0: to eat a tortilla <laughs> chip. But you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, they're thick and dangerous. And I think they're made with, I like, told my wife this, where's <laughs> Bloomberg? Where is he to protect me
1: from? <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling, we were, I was telling my wife this as we were falling asleep and, like... And, like, I was, I was, like, we were both kind of desperate to fall. It's, like, really tired. had a long yeah. day. And then, like, all of a sudden, we had to discuss what exactly happened to you for, like, a good 15 minutes. Because <laughs> I mentioned it. So I was, like, oh, I forgot to mention. He hurt himself eating a chip. And she's, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it scarred his esophagus. No, had to, you I don't need your ER. wife's disdain. I'm sure. There's a certain amount of, like, sympathy <laughs> in the way that you laugh at any idiot. And the reason I feel completely... Um, okay with criticizing you for the self inflicted yeah, wound is yeah. that I actually started the year burning myself trying to carry pasta water. That's true. So, that's true. And I still I'll have that scar for a while. Then. That's true. Mine's uh, Mine's all on the inside. But I uh, yeah no You so, are genius. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no no thank thank you. I'm feeling much better. <laughs>
0: and uh, you know I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna be okay.
1: Yeah. I guess whenever you hit any sort of like serious bodily injury sort of. Uh, rocks your world a little. Because right? you couldn't eat for a little while, right? Yeah, just
0: a couple of days I was eating soft foods and drinking, well, you know, know. like, protein shakes yeah. just to stay alive. That's dramatic, just to have food in me. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, it's interesting when something like that happens because you realize just, like... You know your habits and just like things that make you happy. Like right. how opinion you are on those. You yeah, just, like, absolutely. Are like forlorn. You just like wander around. Like I don't know what to do with myself. I can't like
1: exercise. I can't like. Well, I remember when um, I got my wisdom teeth pulled out. I was, uh, you know, just knocked out on codeine for a while because I, yeah. I had multiple pulled out. And it was. Just... Did you get
0: all four done at the same time?
1: I can't remember if it was three or four. But.
0: It's always way worse than they tell you it's going to be. Yeah, it's such, such a trick. They, yeah. should, they told you how bad it would be, it was going to be, and you never do it. Right. And
1: my family was around, so I remember, and I was just, I, <coughs> I was just zonked out on coding the whole weekend, really. Yeah. And And um, and I remember like just being on liquid food the entire time. And my sister walks in, and I'm like half stupor. And I'm like. I would really love some nachos right now because there's nothing so satisfying yeah. as that crunch yeah, 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 of a yeah, yeah. nacho but do you feel like now it's your nemesis like you can't go back to that now? <laughs> it'll never happen you. you'll never eat again just, this is my life now right 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 exactly <laughs> and we're gonna have like a PTSD with like anytime we walk by like a, a plate of nachos you just look away like an ex-girlfriend right yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah there's something to that like maybe it's a good thing maybe it's a bad thing but I feel like I am pretty quick at like adapting to like new horrible situations and just being like this how it is now like, but you shouldn't do that when you're sick you should just like rest and like right right you know like you shouldn't try to like redo your life sure it's gonna pass right, right. <laughs> have you have you been reading anything any good like anything
1: oh yeah like just escapism and things yeah, like yeah, that yeah. uh yeah there are a number of things that I, i've been reading i went back to um uh my my favorite kind of standby uh detective compromise detective um so bernard Bernie Gunter. Bernie Gunter. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, How I'm, many I'm,
0: books are there in this series? They're sort
1: of like, they're like fourteen or something. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah so like I'm like I'm number thing.
0: twelve or something. Did you ever read the Patrick O'Brien books? I remember no, not to ask no, you. no,
1: no, no. I uh, gotta recommend they. Master Commander. Yeah, they're really. I think you'd
0: like them. They're, yeah. They're really. Do you know his
1: story? Uh, I don't know his story, but I, I saw the whatever the Russell Crowe movie.
0: Yeah. Which was
1: actually not bad. No, Because no, I think yeah, it has yeah. like a serious yeah. Set plotting. That's,
0: yeah. it's not the first book. It's like in, in the middle of the yeah. series. But his story's really interesting. I think you'd get a kick out of this. Okay. He was, his name isn't Patrick O'Brien. That's a pseudonym. Yeah. He was a spy uh-huh. in World War II. Oh, interesting. For, for the British. Okay. Uh, and uh, after the war was over, he, like, you know, requested... He was, like, deep and embedded. Yeah. He requested to be sent to Ireland and just, like, live out the rest of his life as a, in a sinecure, right? Yeah. And that's what he did. And so he's, like, living this, like, new life, you know, like, yeah. as Patrick O'Brien... And uh, and so then he writes this series of books about... It's yeah, actually, they're, like, they're a lot, right? It's like 30 books. But they're just like really detailed naval narratives about... Yeah. Uh, there's the captain, but the, the main character is really this... The side, doctor. The doctor, who's also right. a spy okay, against... Right. Uh, you know, he's a Catholic, but he's against... Uh, the Napoleon. Oh, okay. Yeah, he really hates Napoleon. And they're oh, really yeah. interesting books because the spycraft in it is really, like, detailed and specific. Yeah. And so, so is sort of the naval aspects of it.
1: Well, I mean, I remember liking the movie more than I thought I would. Yeah and, then, yeah. and a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was a well-plotted movie. Yeah. Because you can't yeah. get away from that, I guess, from the source material. Right, you
0: can't. Yeah. It's, uh, I, so I recommend those books okay. if you're looking for something new to start after a birdie. If it's similar and it's like, maybe it's, it's, okay. it's the same... Feeling, even though it's like a new
1: era, there's um, there. I think uh, (coughs) uh, I do like the kind of historical like spy narratives, there's a, or even cop narratives. So, uh, I just looking, I was reading a book called um SPQR, which is just a history book, um, and it's a very good book if you don't know anything about Rome. There's a series of historical like detective novels based called SPQR, okay, based which I think is fascinating a Roman legion detective novel. (laughs) <laughs> um, so,
0: uh, I'm into that. Did you ever read The Name of the Rose? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, it's that's, like one of my favorite books. Yeah, right. I mean, it's kind of I mean, in,
1: in the fact that it's like, you know, the quadruple M, right? Medieval monastic murder mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's really, of course, I love that. <laughs> oh, I was also going to say, I really, I found uh, this TV show that I really like, and I like my movies. I try to find shows that I can watch with my wife. And, w- and she really likes it, so um, it's just not my crappy taste. Um, it has been corroborated by someone with better taste than I have, um, and it is uh, the Patriot. Uh, oh, is it good? It's good. It's yeah, very no, good. good. Interesting. Um, and what I like about it is that it just it hurdles between all these sort of genres. So it is effectively a spy thriller. Um, but uh, I'm not giving anything away. But he's like a folk singer. And so he can't help but like do these folk songs that are way too revealing about <laughs> what he's doing at any given time. And because of that, it also has a certain amount of comedy it's, it, and there's a workplace drama comedy going on. So like it, um, it reminds me a little bit of uh, certain Korean dramas that like ricochet among, yes. uh, genre conventions, but it's really good. And I would recommend, uh, people, uh, check out the Patriot. It's on Amazon.
0: Is the whole series done or is it? Is yeah.
1: It- uh, because it's through Amazon and so it's released all at one time. Um. So I'm going to try not to watch it while my wife is gone. So that's what I've been doing for escapism.
0: Yeah, and beyond that, we finally got a board game in. This yeah, we we got a,
1: we played a, a board game and uh, inspired. Actually, my wife and I played another board game. Oh shit, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the next day. So oh. we I and my wife uh, play uh, Ticket to Ride, which is a strategy game she really likes. Um, and it, you're both
0: obscenely good at it. it well, I uh, well, we play practice against you. I mean, we just play yeah. it a fair amount, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's you should <laughs> You should
1: against my wife uh, at Boggle um, where she just c- comes on like this really weird <laughs> trance focus and uh, I wouldn't say it. I mean my wife speaks a lot of languages but like um, for some reason she's really good at Boggle and that was that yeah Yeah, right. I
0: feel like that's like baseline good that's like a good sign for us that we're like back yeah. to playing a board game you know, yeah we got enough like, time yeah, we got yeah, we're yeah, around yeah,
1: people yeah, yeah. but we don't really interact with them because <laughs> sure. we're too busy trying to win a board game <laughs> Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. perfect <laughs> it's great
0: yeah <laughs> preparation for the old folks oh, i always think about it it's like i'm really gonna be good at being retired. you, retire. you okay. people are gonna be miserable but i'm gonna enjoy every moment <laughs>
1: uh, all right i think uh so let's let's do this let's talk about politics let's start with uh, talking about what made the news and what made the news more than health care yeah well, the aka i guess yeah. um so there's they were talking about how to how to pronounce a h c a which is, is, is sad because like uh in gujarati there's a word called acha which is basically you spell it in english as like a c h a or a c h a a acha which is okay. good just good <laughs> <laughs> and I, I and i feel like there should have been more of a push so that trump would have won his indian supporters because this is no, acha. <laughs> uh, yeah so all right so we are recording this at roughly four o'clock on a Friday. And they have just announced um, that the Republicans, not to a lot of people's surprise, are pulling the AHCA bill because they didn't have enough votes to clear it. Um, so uh, so let's assume that this bill is dead and they're not going to try to revive it, at least in the near future. Yeah. What do you think, what is the game being played here? Because this is one of the things that it can be assumed that the Democrats will vote in a block against, right? It was pretty clear the Free- Freedom Caucus was... As a bloc was not going to vote for this, and without the Freedom Caucus, it was going to be hard for them to get through. Do you think they were just incompetent, or do you think there is something going on?
0: When a bill goes this far and gets pulled, it doesn't feel like strategy; it feels like rank incompetence. It just feels like a total failure. Do you see any possible strategic yeah. ramifications? Yeah, in this? so
1: I, I think there are a couple of ideas. So, like once again, I mean, we're talking about sort of the Bannon cabinet, where yeah. chaos is the strategy, right? right. So you're, you're attempting to throw up a bunch of things, a bunch of noise and take up a lot of the uh, oxygen in the news cycle. Um, So that in itself, like the chaos is something where uh, one could argue that if you portray the government itself as incompetent Mm -hmm. then people will put less faith in the government. Part of being, part of wanting a stronger, more activist government is you actually think that the government can do something well. But like now you're actually showing that the government is pretty incompetent
0: Obama did manage to pass Obamacare, and Trump has not managed to pass Trump Care. So you're, right. You're, so, like, even showing a direct contrast between the ability of
1: right. You know, that's true. So, I mean, know. but I think it's in, there's a way of thinking that says that once the government is proven incompetent, people will put less faith in it, and they will continue to try to rob at least federal government of its powers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one possibility. Uh, I also think that, that we can't ignore that the idea was like, okay, well, Ryan, you run with this we are going to put this on you the minute it fails. So, right, so no, I, I think it's pretty clear that Ryan is going to be backbenched at this point.
0: Who, do they, who does Trump want as, as far as, like, running the House, you know?
1: Who? Well, right, so I, mean, I wonder if this is any deeper than aesthetics. They want yeah. someone who's much more aggressive, much more Trumpian, because Ryan never was, right? right. So it just may be that like he's not loyal enough, and they're happy to have, to have his ship founder. And he proved himself unable to marshal this bill through Congress. So I think the thinking is that, okay, well, he was put up, he failed, now let's replace him. With someone closer, I was trying to think about who I would, who's going to be the equivalent um, in the Congress. A staunch Trumpian who also can wrangle congress right so like in a lot of that were, who
0: is this master player right right
1: so i guess the question is are, is the freedom party going to act as spoilers from now on right mm. you can fault them for a lot of things um but they are at least uh i think somewhat honest about their motivations right? so i mean i think i think paul ryan did a did the job of trying to deal with the freedom caucus. Right, so
0: their problem with the AHCA was that it was not cruel enough. It didn't get rid of (laughs) pre-existing conditions. Right. And so they just weren't going to vote for it. Fuck that bill. Right. Well,
1: I mean, the whole point of it, let me argue on their point. Once you get rid of pre-existing conditions, right, you don't necessarily need to subsidize the individual market. Mm -hmm. And so it's no longer a government payout. It's just a way uh, and and you can argue that you don't need the government or the government's just been there to set up a marketplace to handle regulation. So the biggest problem is Really, the idea that you can't deny people health insurance based on pre-existing uh, uh, conditions, and that monumentally hikes the costs of mm-hmm. insurance companies providing insurance if they can't pool it, if they're trying to sell insurance to an individual person. Yeah, it's
0: totally rational In the same way, they're like cutting off somebody's arm, you know, heals their broken hand.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> to me, healthcare is a mess. Like we yeah. take we take a little different side <laughs> on this. Healthcare is a mess. I think the idea that you can come along and pay for it. Um, you can have the U.S. right now have single-payer health care that the government basically issues everyone insurance. I, I, I don't think that's true.
0: I do think that until we get to a point where we're talking about the facts of why correctly on both sides, yeah. about how much we pay for health care relative to other countries. Yeah, it's a, it's a really messy system.
1: It's a really messy system, and yeah. no party has the has the better solution. Mm-hmm. right? I think it's... Uh, because partisan politics is a way of looking at the world, yeah. it's a very limited way, and this solution may or may not be intractable. It certainly can't be contained in one party's ideological document. Um, so this looks bad for the Trump administration, for sure. But, uh, do you honestly think that there, it's a huge failure without any strategic ramifications? Because I think, one, I think there were there, I mean, I've already mentioned this, but I mean, again, I think uh, the key idea, I think, on the, on the Bannon side is that, okay, well, this could work, and if it works, awesome. And if it doesn't, we at least get to sideline Ryan.
0: I would say, unless Bannon and Trump have some, like, universal health care they want to, like, pull, like, yeah. be, like... Bismarckian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They want to go to, like, the the, the, the pre-World War One German system of, like, if as long as you work for the state, your your needs will be met. And there are many ways you can work for the state right. or party, you know? Right, right. Not just the military. Oh, no, I
1: actually think it would be the other way. Right? It would be slightly different. If, as long as you... Work for a company that buys okay. American. That buys American. <laughs> that buys America. That's good, right?
0: That that's something along those lines. Right. Unless they have something like totally new yeah. and like insidious up their sleeve that they want to pull out, and this is the first gambit in that, you know, assault. Yeah, then I see it as a huge strategic failure because I, I think they're going to get played. And for it's it. a
1: huge. It's it's a huge. Uh, failure in terms of their rhetoric, in Mm. terms of how they position themselves, and beyond strategy. In terms of the rhetoric of being Donald Trump,
0: great deal maker. Right, right. He just
1: failed. I think putting that forward, that Donald Trump and his administration failed, and maybe the Republicans failed, Mm. there is still a lot of power in the federal government held by Republicans, and so you have to think about, well, if this is a failure, let's say it's a strategic retreat, whatever it is, how are they going to build upon this? Because they still have momentum, right? So we're not in 2018... Or it's not really clear that the the Democrats will take over the Congress in 2018. Whatever is going to happen to Obamacare, Trump is going to have to own. Right? The presidency is now tied to certain performance metrics Mm -hmm. of healthcare, and it may actually be coverage. Uh, It seems like that's the dominant metric. By people are like, if people lose coverage because uh, it's hard to measure affordability, the president looks bad. So, I don't know. I think it's... Uh, I, I'm curious to see if what he's going to do, how he's going to recoup. And yep. what this means for the rest of the Trump agenda, right? Because we talked a little bit about how the markets are going to take this. In.
0: Yeah, I think he's going to be seen as someone who can't get legislation passed. And Right,
1: I, mean, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the market retrenched. Because, yeah. because it's a bad sign uh, for things that the market was really hoping for, which are uh, which were sort of deregulation and tax reform or tax cuts, um, which, if he can't pass this, he's certainly lost a lot of momentum. And if he sidelines Ryan, then who's going to be able to navigate this through the Congress, who um, he may be able to pick up more Freedom Party people, I think, for on something like de- uh, deregulation or tax breaks. But um, saying it out loud, I mean, it seems really odd that they wouldn't put something that they could have put something forth before, like tax cuts or deregulation, that the Freedom Party would have been behind. Yeah, they're they willing to play the spoiler. Yeah, game. yeah.
0: Why not? Why not get them to say yes on something first before yeah. you make them say no on something they were always going to say no to? I don't understand that. That to me seems like a huge failure. Of their Republicans.
1: I don't know why they did this first.
0: Yeah, it seems crazy.
1: I think that it's a setback. I think the the administration will fumble for a second strategy if they already if they don't already have one in mind. If it succeeds. And then they will look at it like they all, this was always their strategy, right? But I don't think that's true. I think they're forced to go with their backup strategy. Which is...
0: So what what else what else, uh, this week? So,
1: I mean, there are a couple of <laughs> other things. So I, uh, so I think in general, if you look at the top headlines, there are sort of two victories for the Democrats, I would say, American health care uh, not being repealed, and then two, just the kind of ongoing low-boiling scandal around Russia's involvement and the wiretapping, and it's hard to say that the Democrats look really amazing, but compared to the Republican side of this argument, oh my god, the Democrats are like spit shine. <laughs>
0: yeah, the Comey testimony was pretty damning, you know, both revelations that yeah. Trump is under investigation, or his, his campaign is under investigation, yeah. and that Obama is not wiretapping.
1: Right. So, um, in terms of the first part, did anything get revealed that changes what you think the involvement uh, Russia had with our elections? Do you think that any any new news kind of came out to change your opinion about what happened between uh, either the Republican Party or the Trump um, campaign and Russia?
0: I feel like we haven't sufficiently reckoned with the way in which this particular hacking some place which it wasn't the right hacking Clinton it was mm. Russia dividing the left strategically right? right how and how the left was strategically d- divided during this election is something that keeps happening continues to happen and will happen again we're we're talking a lot about Russia and the Trump campaign we're not really looking into Russia's involvement with the other side with the left with right. how they might have influenced uh, journals and to come out against Hillary Clinton right. and how they played both sides. We're only looking at one side of this issue, and I think that's going to ultimately be detrimental to moving forward on this, like right. coming to some sort of terms with what happened right. and preventing it in the future.
1: Right. So, uh, depending on what uh, you saw as Russia's endgame, um, it was. I think. I, I think we we're all kind of in agreement that it was to weaken the presidency of clinton yeah and with the hope that it sows chaos right and they lost their their stated goal but their secondary but the secondary result is as effective as as their first goal would have been right so i mean having trump in the presidency effectively they are sowing the seeds of chaos and, and trying to weaken uh the american government especially when it comes to foreign interventionism and i think that's been done
0: our, our focus has already changed completely. Like, there's, you know, we're bombing places in Syria now and mounting massive civilian casualties, and no one gives a fuck. I mean, it totally worked. Like,
1: they're, you know...
0: Yeah.
1: the No one's talking about Bashar uh, al-Assad, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And completely... Bashar assad yeah. yeah. Because, like, uh, that was that's Russia's goal. It's yeah, not yeah. to fight terrorism. <laughs> it's not to whatever. It is really... They wanted to keep Bashar al-Assad. And effectively, uh, with Trump, there's just this isolationist bent that on all... Almost all three levels. Um, I think there's no real appetite to start wars. I think uh, there is no. Oh, well, who knows
0: about that? I mean, like, you know, somebody who sees weakness, they can, you know, capitalize on that. You know, Kennedy didn't want to start a war either, but Khrushchev met with him at one summit meeting and was like, Yo, okay. You're a, a young man with a bad back and I'm a cunning peasant. Like, I'm putting <laughs> bombs in Cuba and we'll see what happens. Right. So
1: it depends on whether or not they see weakness. Yeah. Right? When they see Trump. And yeah. it's possible. Um, but I I think from the Trump administration there's not a real um, push to to further entangle themselves in wars Um, this is an Obama legacy thing uh, from the Trump administration, also there's no real push to have any sort of multilateral trade agreements that could check emerging hege- hegemony from some place like China. Yeah. And uh, apparently...
0: there's no there's no multilateral trade agreements at a at a casino, by the way. Right, right. that's all you've ever learned. As right, far as right, like, exactly. you can't play poker as a team.
1: Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and they're also trying. To, they're talking about cutting the State Department. They're any soft power in terms of being able to deal with people like Iran um, and. Uh, in Russia, I guess. So uh, we have become an isolationist country, and that bodes poorly for America's interests.
0: We're not an extractive economy. We don't produce anything.
1: Yeah, we blo- we <laughs> live and die on trade yeah, and, and the strength of uh, things like our multinationals, right? I mean, America is America's business, yeah. right? Part of the health of the economy is engaging with the rest of the world. Yeah, that's our thing. It's right. our
0: strategic events. Why are yeah. we, you know, well, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> it's all fine. It's
1: great. It's
0: <laughs> But what what does it mean as far as world cities go? Do you think New York... I was talking to to my friend Jean. She's on on the podcast. And she said, you know, this is basically it. We're going to become London and Hong Kong is going to become New York. You know, there's...
1: Um, I mean, that could be true to some degree. I mean, so it depends on where the capital markets go in terms of Hong Kong. A lot of people have been talking about Hong Kong for a long time um, because it's poised so ideally to uh, handle China, but the problem is that China's evolution involves deepening and expanding its capital markets, which the government is really loath to do, right? So you have to have a functioning bond market, and you have to have a non-interventionist currency, so all the things that are really important. If they do this, then China is a powerhouse and Hong Kong takes over, but Mm -hmm. if they're reluctant to do that, then a place like New York still has something to say.
0: China decides to, you know, just be like, "Well, fuck it." Like, if America is not going to be America, we'll, we'll be America. Right.
1: I don't think I wouldn't count New York as out. Um, I think uh, New York is a really powerful city. I think it'll take a, a long time to uh, uh, wind down. It has a lot to be said for it because it is. It is sort of the major city of America, and America is, still is a relatively um, innovative um, and dynamic country. Um, you know, and I think that that'll continue for a while. I think there are issues with infrastructure and how you fund a city and how you tax outside of the city to fund the city. Right. All of those issues are, are subtle. Um, but uh, I just want to remind everyone I mean, New York survived the 70s. We survived <laughs> a lot worse, I think than than an administration uh, who um, is based in New York City. <laughs> right? sure. I understand that maybe there's, a, there's sort of a longer trajectory, that maybe New York is no longer the heart of American or even worldwide capitalism. I think I think New York City has has a lot of resilience behind it, and I think it's important, at least in terms of how where it functions in the American economy, where America comes and goes in terms of national international economy. I think that's that's still up for crabs.
0: Well, we'll see. You know, yeah. it's that to me is it's interesting. I'm curious. I'm, yeah, I'm following I... China in a way that I didn't used to now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating country, and for a, a number of reasons I've been following it. And also, I mean, we kind of mentioned I'm sort of teaching myself Chinese very slowly. Yeah, yeah. Because um, my wife is uh, from Taiwan, and my in-laws think that it's um, important for me to speak them, to them in their language. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Gorsuch? Because I think that's also a main headline. Has
0: your opinion changed?
1: About and no, I, I really want them to be like, well, you got us. Yeah. I mean, I want the Democrats to concede. Like, mm. just be like, this is done we are not we're not going to take up any more news cycles with this and we
0: seem flippant about it it's a big loss I mean they really sure. fucked us over like it's yeah, huge absolutely, like, yeah right. absolutely yeah. and, and
1: he's a very conservative guy I'm not yeah. arguing against that but um, yeah if you filibuster there goes the nuclear option um, and so the senate hearing is nothing more than a pleasant courtesy You're right. right going forward and, so
0: unless Schumer knows something about Trump and Russia that would you know throw the whole government into question.
1: Right I just don't think that's true I I think there's also a lot of talk on the democratic side to halt the entire Trump program because Uh, there's something about the democratic party that isn't understanding that it is a power it's a minority power and one of the the key strategies for a party that is not really in power is to hope that the other side hurts itself Mm -hmm. which the government is doing so you just have to kind of retreat from the news cycles and unfortunately see the battle if it were me and
0: i were running the 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 senate if i were the minor, senate minority leader yeah. i would have had everybody in the committee just ask him if he'd ever done any male modeling just as their <laughs> like opening question just like talk about just
1: like make it like just talk about how handsome he is you know like for some reason being a, an originalist meaning that you hold to the text of the constitution is really important to Republicans, especially a very active wing that really thinks about the judiciary on the mm-hmm. Republican side, and it is asinine. Yeah. It, is, it is asinine. It is. That it's very clear in the intent that the that the Constitution is a is a document that is meant to be reinterpreted.
0: I mean, maybe maybe Schumer's strategy is all right. He saw foresaw that the health thing was doomed. Saw the Russia thing was going to boil on its own accord, so he's like, "Why not fucking like make this our <laughs> thing? We have nothing better to do."
1: Yeah, I, just, I think no matter what the gains are from the relatively incompetent handling of the administration of the past couple of weeks okay. of possible policy interventions or innovations, um, I don't think the gains put you towards blocking like, real yeah. course
0: When you have a conservative that can look pained, yeah, and nod. Yeah, as if he's sympathetic about something. Yeah, there's no way to fight that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ted Cruz can't do that. Yeah, Trump yeah. can't do. It. None yeah. of these. Paul Ryan can't do that. Yeah, yeah, It's like an impossible skill. I don't know where he learned it. George it's amazing. Bush. George Bush can do it. George W. Yeah, George W. Bush. Yeah, George w. Bush his father couldn't. George yeah, W. Yeah, his father Bush. couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. but he could do it. He could look pained. Yeah, and like yeah. nod yeah. and like I'm yeah. listening to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, that's that. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that doesn't get mentioned or gets buried a lot. Um, is the sidelining of people like Mattis, like the Mattis wing mm. of uh, Mad Dog. Why won't anybody listen to Mad Dog? Correct, <laughs> <Right>. exactly. <laughs> um, uh, the sanest man in the room, probably, at any yeah. cabinet meeting. So, and Mattis actually, I think, is responsible for bringing in Tillerson, maybe, to some degree.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably right. Although, I think ex, his you know, tenureship at Exxon and yeah. friendliness with Putin. But I think he was hurt. an
1: advocate. And so, uh, um, but Tillerson also is, is somewhat struggling, or uh, uh, he's portrayed to be struggling right now over the past couple of weeks in terms of how the State Department is sort of fulfilling its mission and whether or not it's going to be under assault in terms of the budget um, issues or the budget struggles coming up in the next uh, round of hearing. Um, so there, are, there's a significant wing of the Trump administration that has, has effectively been sidelined or is much more quiet. And it's interesting because those are the nominations that if you just look at who Trump nominated, that you'd be like, oh, those were the good people. Mm -hmm. It seems like he's going to nominate people (laughs) to keep them sane. But effectively, (laughs) the best people in his cabinet are effectively being sidelined. And so there's a pattern there, I think. Um, So the Bannon wing, I I think, is very much in ascendancy or very much in control. I think in the case of uh, the Defense Department, there's been a lot of issues staffing. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's sort of a, a phrase that keeps getting repeated a mantra if you will of um uh you know personnel is policy and it seems like mattis isn't able to fill the department of defense with people he wants some of them who work for the Obama administration and the republicans or the trump wing just says no so um it is it is sort of dispiriting news because you would hope that they would bring sanity but it doesn't seem like that's happening as a matter of fact it seems like they're just there to sort of uh look nice in the in the window yeah, I think that's it for politics. Uh, do you want yeah. to go to uh, doubling down on defeat? Yeah, for sure. Uh- so one, I think from the left, um, there is a tendency to think about or filter the news in terms of human interest stories, and I think of this again as like the NPR view of the world, where like any policy change is like told through the stories of the one person, uh, a person that it affects to the to the detriment. Like there's, and so I think in some ways the way that the left thinks about policy doesn't allow for. Uh, sort of balancing costs and benefits and understanding that people are going to get hurt, but how do we think about this in, in terms of, okay, what is, what is a better choice for our decision? And in some ways, it, being a little bit more cold-blooded and rational, I think it's hard for the left, especially now, and um, maybe in part because of how we tend to take in our news, which is a lot of human interest stories.
0: When the Republicans are, when they say, we want somebody who's going to run the government like a business, that's what they mean. It means yeah. somebody who's going to look at all the sides yeah. and, and you know be cold blooded about making red equal black and yeah. you know like be able to fire people and you know that's mm. never going to play with the left. You're never going to get any traction with saying I'm going to run the government like a business. Yeah. I wish there was something you know like a classroom maybe. <laughs> yeah. You know something that does have like
1: leftist I, uh, resonance. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. but still allow you to be rational. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And you could run it like a church board. Like a
0: church board, that's good. Yeah yeah, 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 because
1: like you know, you do actually have to listen to the congregation. But yeah. at the end, like you only have so much money, yeah, and you have to make decisions on yeah, whether yeah. what you want. So like, yeah, and that way you play with it, play to the center and. and, and yeah. Yeah.
0: That's cynical. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I'm nothing if not about cynical. We're gonna run it like a church board. Second Baptist Church Board <laughs> in Alabama. Right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Welcoming <laughs> but straight. <laughs> yeah. It seems like the Democrats have just been absent lately. Yeah. Like they've just been staying out of the way. Yeah, the and,
1: and for the most part, I think that's actually not a bad strategy. Yeah, I
0: have no problem with that. Like, you know. Um
1: uh, the unemployment rate, which is something I used to follow a lot and I still do, um, came out, and so that the unemployment rate is, uh, you know, it's 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 rattling around about 4.7 percent. I mean, that's a healthy number. Um, and what happened was in the lead up to the election, Trump would say things like, "Oh, the actual unemployment rate is like 50 percent or something yeah. like that." And now, since the numbers are good under his administration, he's literally flipped the switch. At the same time, the Democrats are taking the other side. That right. this isn't the real unemployment rate, mm. that the real unemployment rate is higher. Um, so I think that's, uh, and so it's, and, and you just saw this switch immediately. Uh, like, like as February's numbers came out, the Democrats were talking about other types of measures on unemployment. And I just, I want to put it in advocacy of like, hey, there's a headline number for a reason. It's hard to measure unemployment because it's hard to know. How do you define someone who's not working versus not fully employed, right? And so there's a measure um, that we've used over time, and it makes an easy benchmark because you can see how it evolves over time. So you can say that the unemployment rate dropped as opposed to where we were in the recession. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Any other measure of unemployment will generally follow the same trend, right? So, like, it doesn't matter. You can say, like, okay, there's another way to measuring it that's now at 15%. Okay, yes, it's a much more generous idea of, like, who's unemployed because you start to talk about okay well they're not they're not where they want to be in the, like in the labor market it's it's a little bit of a softer criterion and most importantly it also declines since the recession <laughs> right so like the trends gen- tend to be in general the same right like yeah. like there's a de- de- and so i just i think the left kind of now seizing in on numbers that look bigger it's it's a bad strategy and it also just i mean what's important here is that you learn the trend and mm-hmm. that's what the unemployment rate is good about and you should pay attention to that, and the trend is going to be the same.
0: Yeah, you shouldn't even be attacking Trump on unemployment for another two years. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. Right. Yeah, Yeah, we'll see what the numbers look like then.
1: And I think... Wait, you had a line about, is racism the new pornography?
0: Yeah. Is racism the new
1: pornography,
0: right? And what I mean by that is, you know, the internet came around and it instantly became like this like seedy base of like porn and
1: sure that's you know, like lo- what technology does yeah it spreads pornography it spreads
0: <laughs> pornography right but an ancillary effect of, and you know maybe that's good maybe that's bad um, I don't know I mean I, I'm for it I, you know I'm, as a pornographer myself I, mean, <laughs> I can't be too against sure, it sure. but the uh, I am sympathetic to some regulation of the porn industry to make it safer for the performers sure. safer for consumers you know, they don't get scammed by, like, fly-by-night deals. Right. And uh, also, perhaps, like, you know, making some barriers to entry that make it harder for people to accidentally stumble on things they, they're not interested in. Right. I'm sympathetic to that. Right. So, since we have all these regulations in place and nobody really is asking for more porn to be out there on the internet. We're comfortable with the amount of porn there is on the internet. Nobody's trying to make it easier to get right. porn on the internet, you know? Right. Racism is also, like, a new commodity, a titillating commodity that people sell. Uh, that Now it's a smaller market, for sure, yeah. uh, that makes a certain amount of money and is completely unregulated and maybe a way to confront it isn't to be like all racism should be banned like all pornography should be banned but just accept that a certain amount of people are going to be racist and we need to regulate it so that it doesn't kids are not seeing it and also that you know like you can't make a shitload of money off and not be taxed for it or penalized for it in some way knowing yeah. what you're doing you're you're pandering to people's prurient interest yeah uh, in a cynical way and uh we can't get rid of it but maybe we can tax it
1: so so you're saying that racism should come, fall under a syntax? tax yeah, yeah yeah uh interesting i just i guess the problem is how you delineate what racism is
0: it's the same problem right it's right. the same problem of like what is you know what is art i guess and what is racism what yeah. is you know what leads to direct harm and what is just like soft you know like sitcom racism in the same way that Part of the human experience is confronting your darkest sexual desires and finding a way to channel them healthily. Part of the human experience is confronting your misconceptions about people and finding ways to talk about and deal with them. It's we, we can all agree that it's like, I mean, on both right and left, nobody wants to be called racist, you know. Right. Everybody doesn't want to be. So how
1: does this, so let me so let me ask, like, how would this play out? Like, what...
0: So, I'm not sure. I'm just. Uh, I'm, I'm. You know. I'm just talking about a new way of conceptualizing well, internet think, I, racism. I. I
1: like the idea that we we sort of accept that racism exists rather than flying off the handle every time someone says something that can be interpreted as uh, racist. I think a long time ago the left just sort of played that card. Yeah. Until um, the point where it just became worn out, right? And, like, you know.
0: I'm sympathetic to that, but yeah absolutely. clearly it doesn't work, so right, you know, right, yeah, right. It only it yeah, it only makes like there be racist theaters and racist bookstores in right. like the seedy area of town, you know right It only drives racism deeper underground. It's a weird <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> fetish market now. you right. see it in these like weird little suburbs. Well, I mean, and, there's
1: something subversive about racism okay, yeah. right Like it's so frowned upon by society, of course people are going to be drawn to it in the things. dumbest
0: way possible. It's like titillating because yeah. it's like forbidden. Uh, so if that's gonna, and,
1: and, I, and I think in the same way that like, uh, we never talked about this, but um, you know, there are very there are a number of campus riots, right, over free speech, and one of them was Charles Murray, who was accused of being racist, and I would yeah. say that some of his writing is has racial thrust to it. Sure, for sure. I <laughs> know you could say that. I mean, what it really means to confront that means that like if you saw racism is the same way as pornography, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that guy's racist. All right, that's what yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to hang out with <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but like, I mean, there. And I guess what we're arguing, I mean, I don't want it to be normalizing of racism, but it also... I'm, I'm not that.
0: advocating that. I'm just advocating like, there's got to be a way to penalize racist organizations that isn't cultural. Right. Because that doesn't work. It just makes them stronger. I think it makes it more focused, and it makes it cool.
1: It does this whole thing. Yeah, there's like a punk racism. There always was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's sort of a punk aesthetic to racism that we're like rebelling against uh, the norms or whatever. Um, And this is just not something we should be encouraging in any way. So um, I don't know if I have a solution. I don't know if I love what you're proposing, (laughs) but I think it's worth thinking about. All
0: right. Well, if anybody has any ideas for how to, you know make racism as boring as pornography. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, uh, without making it as ubiquitous <laughs> as pornography. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I think that's it, man. Uh, we want to go down outside, outside the bubble. Outside the bubble? bubble. Yeah. Outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside the bubble, where we like to talk about sources outside our liberal media existence um, that we find compelling or interesting. Um and useful
0: so, for our strategic goals, yeah, practice.
1: absolutely. Uh, again, like t- turning back to the fact, that I think a lot of people were blindsided by the election in 2016 because uh, they just couldn't conceive of that. And uh, part of that was because, in a lot of ways, we are not in touch with people who see things differently than we do,
0: yeah. Uh, and yeah. so,
1: it's really important, I think, the exercise of trying to reach out,
0: yeah. Um, and you know, we are a room of requirement, you yeah. know, you fight a bogger before you fight a dementor, right? Exactly, exactly.
1: Uh, yeah. So, this is how we do this, yeah. Uh <laughs> so, uh Alright, so my couple of sources are I wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, there was an article in Foreign Policy magazine um, and it's called um, The Other uh, Women's Movement um, and so uh, it came out uh, on the uh, March 20th it's it's pretty long and uh, there's sort of a companion piece because uh, they refer to another article in the Washington Post um, but uh, the idea here is that as much as we like to talk about a women's movement that is largely liberal and anti Trump, and rightly so, uh, there is a strong uh, support um, among women, um, certainly right leaning women, uh, for Trump. And this breaks out in a couple of reasons. A lot of it is things that bring, that allow Republicans or, or convince Republicans that Trump is the person for them. Um, certainly religion, and if you're anti abortion. Um, but also uh, a number of things that are, can be cultural, or um, in some ways the same argument uh, uh, about immigration. But I thought there isn't necessarily anything you learn about how Trump appeals to people. Like there isn't anything new. But I think it's really uh, interesting to think about how Trump is actually able to bring women to part of, to be part of his coalition. Now they, he doesn't. He certainly polls much worse for women than he does for men just in terms of the differential who support him and uh who don't support him but keep in mind i think his support base is something on the order of 35 to 45 percent for women like there's a differential there but it's not an overwhelming differential um and you can if you look at polling of past presidents there is a bigger differential for certain presidents on either side so um it's just worth keeping in mind that maybe we live in a partisan age. But being a Republican doesn't, uh, I mean, or being a woman doesn't necessarily veto being uh, a Republican, right? And, that's, and that does draw people to the Republican Party and does draw people to Trump. Um, and again, not super insightful, but really helpful to read because they talk a lot to individual women. And just to hear their opinions, I think it's, it's really um, helpful to kind of, Think about the Republican Party and the Republican Coalition—not as monolithic, but as real people who are reacting. And you won't necessarily have sympathy with everyone, but it is—it is a really helpful read. And I thought that was—and um, and it was just a good piece of sort of journalism as sociology, like uh, different por- painting different portraits of the people who create this coalition.
0: What are the, some of the things that have persuaded them that he's going to be the one that most looks out after their interests?
1: Right. So I think, um, and there's also, yeah, like I mentioned, there's a companion piece and that was about how. Uh, written uh, after the election about uh, from a Muslim woman who said I'm a Muslim immigrant and I support Trump I think it's worth reading um, uh, so I, mean, I think there are probably three or four main currents and and again I don't know how much you want to extract from this one I think uh, if you're religious and anti-abortion Trump yeah. promised to deliver on that I don't know if he did with Gorsuch, but he <laughs> did promise uh, 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 someone who would overturn Ro- Roe v. Wade and yeah. I don't know if he will uh, or he did Um I think too uh there is certainly a lot of the cultural argument that we talk about um that is interesting that you know there there is a sense that our whatever the the dominant voices in the culture are different from people who come from maybe more conservative backgrounds uh there's a lot of talk about how people have become more sensitive to politically correct so there is a cultural rejection it's just uh it's not that men feel this way and women feel this way it's that there are people who are conservative or who see this. Who are women who would who are willing to most importantly overlook what are kind of clear flaws from uh, Trump, so that they're willing to overlook uh, things like the Access Hollywood tape in order to to either talk about uh, a shift in the culture, uh, a shift in an abortion rights, or you know general immigration and security. I think that's kind of the third thing mm-hmm. that Trump was able to talk more.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I want to read that. I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah,
1: I wanted to also point out that there was a, a piece of reporting that came from the Brookings Institution about demographics, um, and it's a, there's a longer report, but effectively the headline was that white working class morbidity and death due to despair, and it's actually been on the rise. So like the death rates or the mortality rates um, have been on the rise, and if you looked at it 20 to 25 years ago, the white working class was certainly healthier than say just average black person or the entire black demographic but they've crossed over um so uh it's not an entirely fair comparison but i think there is something to be talked about about how trump's base if they are the white working class has certainly experienced a very real and tangible decline in their living standards and their life expectancy which is a profound shift in demographics um, and so when we talk about when you and I talk about the cultural rejection, there is something about how the white working class is experiencing a reality that is different because clearly from their demographics, uh, uh, while black or Latino or college-educated college whites are uh, their demographics are improving in, ser- in terms of mortality that they are generally expecting to live longer. Mm-hmm. This is not true for the white working classes, and uh, there was uh, there was effectively a peak uh, sometime in the '90s and. And since the 2000s, um, this group of people has been uh, dying more frequently, um, especially in, in that crucial middle age period where a lot of the um, mortality is due to things like alcoholism or drug overdose or things like that. Or
0: or it means that you should fucking not buy a gun if you're poor. Like, that's the last thing you should spend money on. You're going to alter that. You're going to fuck up the averages when you shoot yourself because your football team loses. The person most likely to to die from your gun in your home is you, you know? Yeah, but
1: that's also because, right, like, I mean, you don't... Yeah, I'm
0: just saying, like, maybe this average is skewed by the suicide rate of we're in class that just can't handle their shit. Get it together, white working class. Stop blowing uh, your this brains point out. Is lost Stop to you. blowing your brains out in your garage and get You're a
1: bleeding heart for the white working class. <laughs> I am, yeah. uh, but I, I, I think it's really important, and I think this, yeah. this says something about the experience. That if you don't, I think it's true. I think it's a, it's a very real kind of change in how people's life expectancy and quality of life has changed. And it's really important to pay attention to that. So there are both different narratives and different ways of seeing the world, but there is a different reality, too.
0: Do you think they need a white president so that they can feel some sense of <laughs> that they belong in this country? What are you going to do for them? <laughs> what are you going to do for the white uh, working I, class to make their lives better?
1: Well, uh, I was going to suggest health care. Oh, yeah, obviously, but they don't want that.
0: Anyway. <laughs>
1: All right, so what is your Outside the Bubble this week? Do you know Dan Carlin? Yeah, I was just checking him out, actually. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he puts together like very long podcasts that are just syntheses of uh, time periods and, and, and epochs in and history that he finds fascinating. He reads a bunch of books and just basically tells you the story. Yeah. Uh, it's a digest. It's not particularly rigorous, but he's, uh, he's interesting to listen to, and he tells a good story, and he's got a good ear for an anecdote. And then he has a, an ancillary podcast to uh, his podcast, Hardcore History, yeah. called Common Sense. Yeah. And Common Sense is, you know, it's a pretty center-right, fiscal conservative, you know, kind of libertarian You look at, you know, American politics. Uh, uh, and I'd recommend it. It's interesting. I, I, I went all when I'm listening to it because I just wait for him to say something terrible. Yeah. But he never actually gets to something terrible. He always kind of dances around. It's, but I recently had a podcast that was just about... Uh, the Cold War uh, and thermo- the thermonuclear yeah. war. Yeah, that's
1: hard. yeah, that was part of the hardcore history Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a
0: five-hour kind of analysis and yeah. just, like, Cold War thinking. Yeah. And I recommend it. It's really interesting to listen to it's just as far as, like, uh, the stakes. You know, we mm-hmm. find ourselves in perhaps in game of a horrible – I mean, maybe we just lost the Cold War. Yeah. But, you know, the, the ongoing power dynamics between nuclear powers – And how we've kind of forgotten the stakes at this point because we're so used to we're so distant from the uh, time in which it was part of everybody's daily life when you were just worried about being blown up by a nuclear weapon at any moment, you know. Uh, And interesting to all the ways in which the security state grew out of this. And you know, it's it's a pretty good podcast. It has some interesting details in it, which you might like. This. Eisenhower, right? Mm-hmm. Cons- you know, the, the Russian idea of how to prepare the minds of the intellectual elite for global thermonuclear combat was by making chess masters, right? Yeah. But Eisenhower, to Eisenhower's mind, uh, the uh, actual dynamics of global thermonuclear war were best represented in game theory by Bridge. He was, and he considered himself like a bridge master, and yeah. he made everybody
1: play and learn bridge,
0: learn bridge, and play bridge because there's hidden information, uh, and you had to. There was simultaneously like strategy and bluffing, right? So it's a combination of poker and chess. Uh, I, I found that just kind of an interesting anecdote, but he was like obsessed with bridge like you play bridge every day that's awesome yeah yeah it was just like and everybody in the eisenhower administration all the generals had to learn it and that's cool it was just like that was you know he would argue for anybody that wants to learn about how game theory works in a you know modern environment right. not focus on poker not focus on chess but focus on the synthesis of these two which is bridge
1: bridge all and, right
0: I don't... Have you ever played Bridge? Or? I have never played Bridge. Yeah. I don't even really know how it works.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I know that Omar Sharif used to have a long-standing column on Bridge. Oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. so, he's... Well, in my mom's generation, he was a very famous actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And because my mom followed him, then I followed him, and so, yeah, yeah. uh But, yeah, so this famous actor uh, had a Bridge column, I think, for, <laughs> until he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Uh, all right, yeah, no, I will definitely check out, like, both Hardcore History and then,
0: uh... A common Sense. Common Sense, Yeah, right, yeah. Sense. Uh, his latest Common Sense is pretty... It's kind of a departure for him. He just kind of argues in favor of uh, some sort of renovation of our healthcare system. Worth checking out. Cool. Uh, for sure.
1: Yeah, I will definitely check that out. Um. All right, well, with that, I think we want to segue to our random shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I've already pro- uh, proposed this, uh, but I wanted to talk to you about podcasts. Oh sure, yeah. Um, so uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we have our own podcast. We we have some affinity for the form, um, but uh, it is something that I end up taking a lot of my information in uh, as as podcasts. And um, since we started this podcast, I think it's even more like I'm more I'm listening to more political podcasts um, as a function of it. But uh, I'm just curious what your relationship was and how. Uh, maybe how you first discovered them and how you sort of ingest podcasts now and uh, yeah, how you think the landscape because you come from publishing how you think this media landscape is evolving. Yeah, uh, I first
0: started listening to podcasts uh, when I was working at a fulfillment center which okay. is like, that's a place where, you know you work as a picker putting crap into baskets that people have bought online and then mailing it out to them. Uh, and this was back in Austin or whatever. And it was like a, you know, nine, ten hour job and you're just like walking around. And they encourage you to so that your brain doesn't go dead and you don't yeah. just start stealing stuff. Right. So they kind of require you to. It's like not even an option. It's like you bring headphones and something to listen to. Or, will be <laughs> like, or we will have to watch you. It's right. like that's the way they keep you supervised is to make sure you're just listening to something. Uh, but, you know, I grew up listening to the radio, like right. car talk and uh, there was a time when I first got the internet. That was what I listened to. It was just I went in and went to NPR and listened to all the car talks. I thought it was like heaven. Like I can listen to them anytime I want. You know?
1: <laughs> we talk a little bit about being Generation X yeah. and how we are a generation that grew up on the radio. We yeah. had to listen to the radio, so it's easy for us to think about listening to a podcast. Yeah, right? like yeah, it's yeah. really like an easy fit for Absolutely. us.
0: Absolutely, I made this point before, but it's like you know, I think to the extent that generations exist. Uh, millenniums have definitely mastered social media and, and baby boomers definitely have TV and they're never letting go of that <laughs> we will be <laughs> condemned to watch NCIS for yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, innocuous procedural. Systems.
0: but like so therefore like the default medium for a Gen X to express itself is like talking in the back of a room while like, everybody else is in a bar which is the podcast you know right. just like turn on a microphone and this is it this is our media so uh, I think yeah
1: I, I I think it's an interesting generational theory, and I think actually, I just want to point out that you put you throw out a lot of generational theories while still hating generational theory. everybody loves it. what can you do?
0: Like, people <laughs> love it like you put you, you put a generation in there people are gonna click <laughs>
1: I, I will say that it, it is resonant with my experience because like I, I grew up listening uh to radio like a lot of people did because that's what we did when we drove around in our cars. we didn't yeah. have um, we didn't even have tape decks, and like when I was growing up, we only had AM radio, just because like I mean, those were the cars we bought. Oh
0: Jesus! But you were in university town, right? so yeah, you're in sure university the AM, AM radio is pretty good. Uh, AM
1: radio wasn't. Oh, I, okay. I, I grew up in the south, so there right. was a lot of like I mean, there were a couple of radio stations, but it was all news and evangelical. I uh, our FM stations were all like university. Oh, okay, like, that's a yeah, yeah, university yeah, yeah, yeah. Station, right, And so right. I think uh, at some point we upgraded our car radios to FM, and we would listen to a lot of college radio. But unfortunately for us. Um, college radio was also a little bit of a free-for-all so like some like my friends were DJs on college radio oh yeah, no like, shit yeah, it, was yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just terrible yeah it was just terrible but that was like what you aspired to be right There's like this is
0: power like yeah, a college DJ yeah college yeah, DJ. yeah. just yeah. talking
1: to anybody on the radio oh. hey man can you play my favorite song <laughs> like, yeah man <laughs> all right. yeah, hey, yeah, okay. yeah I'll see you tomorrow do you have the homework yeah like, I remember calling stuff
0: into the radio station and it playing it and then taping it. Yeah, yeah, like, I would, I would do that. Yeah, right?
1: yeah, that's what that, that technology So, So we grew up on radio, and now it's easy to kind of transfer that into podcasts. And I'm trying to actually think when, the la- when I actually first started listening to a podcast regularly and what that was. And I'm drawing a little bit of a blank. Um, I don't know, because they've been around for a very long time Yeah, right? that technology.
0: Yeah. This American life, I think, was a lot of people's entry point.
1: I think what I when I would sit down and really listen to it was when I got, like, a smartphone and the Stitcher app and things yeah. like that. And in particular, I think Audible was actually my oh sure. book because, like, yeah. I, would, I, would, I really started listening and that became a part of my diet. My media diet was listening to things. Um, so I'd listen to either Audible or, like, The Economist and then I got into podcasts. So, um,
0: you know, the market is people doing something else. I don't think too many people just sit down and listen to a podcast. Yeah. You know, it's people who are either working or exercising or...
1: Sometimes I'll listen to podcasts if I want to fall asleep.
0: Yeah, so... I mean, I think there's something there, too, of just, like, a a generation that's expecting to just do dumb, horrible shit and just trying to find (laughs) a way to, like, you know, like, look like they're still doing it but be doing something else, you know, at the same time, just, like, zoning out, you know.
1: Are there podcasts that you find yourself drawn to, like, I mean, so the... The thing about the landscape is it's just vast. There's and I, I think of it as a very long tail long uh, landscape. So like yeah. in the sense and what I mean by that is that there are just a lot of like people putting out podcasts yeah, and it's yeah. and so everyone has a podcast. We have a podcast. Yeah. I mean there are some hit podcasts that that gain a lot of momentum, are, like are downloaded yeah. like a million times per episode. Um but it is a very kind of uh dispersed producer landscape as opposed to other medium, like like even uh uh, something like radio or... Yeah, it's
0: something. very... It's it's like a zine, you know? Yeah. It's like a zine. It, it, to me, it really feels like the old zine market. It or, I mean,
1: like, uh, to be honest, it's a lo- it, uh, something more. it's like YouTube a lot. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, at the same time, there's something intimate, right? Like
0: you yeah. want you want personal shit. You want, like... And,
1: you know, and speaking of Dan Carlin, you can also listen to it for a while. Like, our yeah, podcast lasts probably. about an hour. Yeah, his yeah. last five hours. Yeah. YouTube videos, you know, you, you go in expecting it to be two and a half minutes. Yeah. Like, it's it's a lot to take your eyes for more than two or three minutes. That's right, just not right, how we function. So um, uh, so are there podcasts you find yourself drawn to? Are there types of podcasts or particular podcasts? Yeah, the
0: first podcast I think I just listened to a couple episodes and then I was like, oh, I'm going to listen to all of this now, was uh, the Slate Culture Gab Fest. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to that. One. Yeah,
1: I have, actually. Yeah. But uh, I
0: really like that podcast. I think its format is very like tight and concise. I really like the three principal uh, people who...
1: Yeah, you're opine. talking about the politics or the pop culture? The pop culture. With, yeah, yeah, with, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, It's Stephen Metcalf, uh, Julia Turner, and Dana Steven. Uh, and they just pick three cultural subjects, yeah. and then they just give their opinions on it. And it feels like it's great, because it, a lot of times it's stuff I'm never going to engage with. I just yeah. don't have the bandwidth or time or interest. But hearing somebody smart wrangle with it, it gives me some sort of informed opinion about it. Right. And also, uh, I often am persuaded to check something out that I wouldn't ordinarily. How about you? Is there one that
1: I think uh, I think I like uh, some of the the more true crime uh, genres. So, oh like, sure, yeah. but not serial, but actual crime.
0: We all listen to serial, though. Everybody did. did I you... don't. I didn't finish it. Whoa! I didn't finish, Hardcore. I, I didn't Hardcore. Finish
1: it. it was about an Asian <laughs> man killing his <laughs> Asian <laughs> yeah. girlfriend. Was a Little close to home. Yeah, I get that. like he, his. There are other are there some some genres that I really like. Um, like uh, there are a couple of economics podcasts that I think are really cool. There's one put out by the Hoover Institute. Uh, that I found really, really interesting, like machine learning and stats podcasts. Ooh. Um, but I think it, it's, a, it's a, I, I, I listen to, I, I've started to listen to, but it's really hard because you don't have numbers in front of you. But uh, So I'm interested in a lot. I just, I don't know how to kind of like balance it out and prioritize in my diet. Um,
0: what do you think are the strengths of a podcast as opposed to a different some other medium, such as social media or television? Uh,
1: so I think it's intimate. Yeah. I think there's also a less, uh, uh, and I think it's a, and it selects for people who can tell you stories and um, who uh, and who are able to communicate information to you without a lot of like visual aids. So that is actually a, it, it, in particular, there is a spoken narrative that that comes out, and I think that's that's something that's that is easy and it, it's fundamental to who we are. I think and how we communicate information. So yeah. there is something nice about that. Um. Uh, yeah and uh, I think there is something there is something about how a very kind of crowded market will select for uh, allow certain people who are able to tell stories or communicate information quickly um, to thrive yeah Uh. so I I guess the question is where do you see podcasts going like as as someone who deals with the media this is a form of media but as mm-hmm. a, as a publisher where do you see this evolving I mean this is do you think this is sustainable I mean there aren't that many barriers to entry, but...
0: Yeah, there are many barriers to entry, but there's certainly barriers to monetization, and I, I think consolidation is in the future of podcasts. People trying to uh, panoply or... Uh, Gimlet. Gimlet, yeah. I also think it's going to become standard for magazines, media organizations to all have podcasts. It as, seems
1: like they're going that way. Yeah, yeah, as
0: part of their brand. And I think a lot of people it's going to result in a lot of crappy podcasts. A of, it's not, you have to have some backing
1: for it. I think in particular news podcasts that are spun off of another, like a print publication, um, can be a little awkward. I mentioned this, but there was a woman um, uh, and uh, <coughs> she had a podcast called Sampler. Her name is Brittany Luce. I think the podcast wound up. It's part of the Gimlet um, organization. I think they've given her something else. And she was really good. Like she, I forget what she was doing. She wasn't doing anything. She was just like, an admin somewhere and they gave her a podcast and she was really good at it because um, that's what she would do all day while she was doing other news is that she would listen to podcasts but she was a black woman and she would gravitate towards other podcasts hosted by black women Yeah. and so she and her whole thing was that she would pull in all these uh, podcasts that she thought were interesting and they and she would tie them together through a theme um, but she was able to uh, pretty consistently throughout her show and she had probably 30 episodes or something she'd always refer to people people of color, but particular black women, and there was just, like, a whole network of black women. Not even a network, just a... It was a pretty... Uh, because they weren't really communicating with each other necessarily, but uh, I thought that was a really... It was like a subculture that I wasn't super aware of, that, like, once you get in, you're like, okay, well, this person is listening to that person, and so it becomes this network of, like, of, of different subcultures.
0: It's hard to turn somebody down for being on a podcast. It's so it's such low stakes. I think that's what I like about it. Yeah. You know, there's nothing really there's no nobody's getting paid
1: yeah no one's getting paid <laughs> yeah um uh, no. but
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so in short podcasts of the future or maybe not yeah yeah uh, and that, I think that brings us to another successful another
1: conclusion. Conclusion. Yep. I'm Kamala Ishrao
0: and right, I'm Miracle Jones and thanks once again to Kevin Carter for our wonderful and lovely outro music